everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Um, it's a long day of Formula One today. It was a long day. That's what happens when they red flag a race. I mean, I, I was... So we, we sat down, what, about 10, 30, 11 o'clock? We did stop for lunch, but it was like 4 o'clock by the time we got to the end of the race. Three thirty, four o'clock. It was <laughs> late. Again, that's what happens when they red flag a race. Yeah. Now, to be clear, this includes the time we sat down to watch the the, the pre-race show. Mm-hmm. And and that runs, what, about an hour 15 yes. in its own right? Yeah, that was the before lunchtime. <clears throat> we, we broke before the... We took lunch right before lights out. Yes. So it was the post-lunch... But it was it was a long day of Formula One. It was. Were there snacks? No. Oh. We didn't have any snacks, <clears throat> any race themed snacks whatsoever during our long day of Formula One. I was too busy multitasking, quite frankly. No, no, that's true. Okay. I mean, you could have made Formula One related snacks, but no. Apparently, I'm the only one that can make Formula One related snacks. Yes. Follow us for more recipes? I don't know. <laughs> we haven't given a single one thus far. Anyway. Yes, it was a long day of Formula One. And I have to tell you, if you missed the pre-race coverage, you probably missed the best interview with Stefano Domenicali I've ever seen. Yeah, you know, and, and we commented that um, we have taken Stefano to task during his days with Ferrari quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was a very different Stefano than we see normally as fans. Truly. And quite frankly, very open and candid. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a lot of information to share. Um, the first being that it turns out F1 actually is going to Miami in I'll believe 2022 it when I see. on a 10-year deal. I'll still believe it when I see it. Are there going to be like any gimmicks to the race? Like, um, if there's too much CO2 emissions, it's just like, nope, end the race right now, can't have any more of this. I don't know. They did <clears throat> say they would monitor air quality. We're just not sure what they're going to do about it. Yeah. Um, it's the, the track, as we mentioned, is going to be around the Hard Rock Stadium where the Miami Dolphins play. Um, it's a 5.41-kilometer track, 19-turn configuration. Um, basically, it runs around the stadium and some of the parking lots um, by the toll plaza for, for the Florida's Turnpike. But it stays off 195th Street. I bet the turn at the the <clears throat> toll plaza is going to be the hottest turn on the track. Well, that turn, it's a 90 degree turn and it's under the two exit ramps from the turnpike. Are all the drivers going to be hooked up with the sun pass so that they can get through the toll plaza? It's going to be on their helmets. Well, no, actually this is going to be the big push for Sun Pass to finally link up with Easy Pass. <laughs> so they can put the Easy Passes yeah, it's on there? Gonna be, it's going to be the Easy Passes. Although, now that I think about it, it, it would be better for the Sun Pass because they have the stickers 
as opposed to the box. Yeah, aerodynamics. Yeah, so from an aerodynamic perspective, you know, the sticker would probably be better. Yeah. Yeah. But that would be hysterical. (laughs) You know, it it would be one way to test the effectiveness of your high-speed tolling system. True. True. I think they're talking about some parts of the track would estimate it to get up to 300 kilometers per hour. Uh, Quite possibly. You know, speaking of testing the speed of, testing the efficiency of your high-speed tolling system. Mm -hmm. So years ago in DC, actually it wasn't, it was about five years ago, they built these high occupancy toll lanes along I-95 South in Virginia. Right. And that was exactly how they tested them to make sure that the, the, the tolling sensors were working properly. They hired some race driver, and I don't remember who it was, and they put him in a muscle car. And they said, go. Oh my. And he drove the length of the the high occupancy toll lanes at like 120 from uh, Springfield, Virginia, all the way down to Fredericksburg. Nice. <laughs> nice. And I assume it worked because they were opened. Yeah. So th- that is an effective way to test. Exactly. Exactly. All right, so 10-year deal with Miami. Yeah. Um, We don't know exactly when it will be other than in 2022 right now. But one thing that Stefano said is that it will not be um, a back-to-back race with Austin. Okay. What he says is it will be in the second quarter of 2022, which would... I'm I'm thinking that they're actually going to pair it with either... Well, Montreal. either before or after Montreal would be the way to do that. I'm assuming instead of going to Azerbaijan or they move Azerbaijan, but Montreal would seem to make the most sense. Um, one of the things, at least in the press conference, we didn't hear it in his interview with Sky Sports, but one of the things that he mentioned in the press conference that they are very sensitive to is Austin's deal is being renegotiated for renewal. So they don't want to step on Austin. Got it. Well, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Definitely makes sense. I just, full disclosure, I really worry about a 10-year deal of a race in a parking lot. I agree. Um, You know, I'm, I'm hopeful that this layout produces better racing than Paul Ricard. Okay, but that is an incredibly low bar. It is, but that's also incredibly bad racing. True. On a board flat track, and that's Florida. (laughs) Especially this part of Florida, it is flat as a board. But if they're going onto a highway, doesn't that mean that they're at least rising up on some elevation? No, they're They're not not going on a highway. They're just going past the toll plaza, not onto the highway. Oh. Um. Yeah. No, I was thinking, you know, I often joke with people when they find out that I'm a Formula One fan and they go, oh, so do you watch NASCAR too? And I say, no, I like my cars to make left and right turns and to be going to be able to go up and down hills. And um, they won't be able to do that in Miami. Yeah, not at all. 
Well, we'll see how this goes. I, you know, I, I'm hopeful that this produces good racing. I'm not convinced it will. And, you know, as, as we were talking, since we do tend to go down to South Florida, well, we used to go down to South Florida in, in normal times. In the before times. Yeah, in, in the before times. That there's probably a pretty good chance that sometime in the next 10 years we're going to end up at the Miami Grand Prix. Well, what I would hope <clears throat> is that we can do, like, if we do the Miami Grand Prix, that we also go to a real Grand Prix. A real Grand Prix? <laughs> A grown-up one? A grown-up Grand Prix. Okay. Like Emma. Emma is a grown-up Grand Prix. It is. The The question is whether or not we see Imola again. Now, I'm hopeful. And um, the the folks in and around Imola and the, the organizers and owner of the tracks have already stood up and said, yes, we love you. We want you back. We are not a museum to F1. We are an active track, and we love hosting Formula One. You need to come back, mm-hmm. despite what Martin Brundle said during the Sky coverage today, that he didn't think that they had the wherewithal to bring Formula One back. <clears throat> well, we will have to see what happens in the after times. In the after times. <laughs> so... The other thing that Stefano said, so, there, you know, there's been a lot of talk in the last, what, year and a half to two years of it, even though we're, we're putting more races onto the calendar to maybe shorten the race weekends. Oh, yeah. And to go to two-day race weekends because we've got more races in the calendar. Well, Stefano Domenicali has said, no, not happening. Well, we tried it out last year with Imola specifically because of the distance between Portimao and Imola. And also with the Eiffel Grand Prix. Well, that that wasn't planned to be a two-day weekend. It ended up being a two-day weekend because uh, Friday was rained out. Correct. I, it was, I was looking for the ones that were planned. Okay. Um, but yes, Stefano was absolutely adamant and frankly... I think it had to do with the fact that I picked up the phone and called him and said, we need three-day weekends. Well, he acknowledged they spoke to somebody. See? Just not you. <laughs> yeah. Just you know, in, because in he didn't case, use my name, he has a really hard time pronouncing my name. Is that what it is? No, you know, I, I, I got to give Stefano and Formula One credit for talking to the right people about this. Mm-hmm. They went to the organizers and they went to the promoters. And instead of going, well, you know, if you want three days, pay us more. They they actually asked the organizers what would make the most sense from a business perspective. And they all came back and said they liked the three-day weekend because when they have these weekends, typically they have more stuff going on than just Formula One. And it's important to remember that, you know, what we see on television, even if you watched all the Formula One coverage, including all the practices and all of the the qualifying and the pre-race and the race, you might have eight to ten hours of racing. But in a, a Formula One weekend on site... There's junior races that are going on. There's often concerts that are happening. Mm -hmm. There's a big party type atmosphere. All of that brings money in to the promoters 
for various reasons, whether it's tickets, whether it's food sales, whether it's just the the admissions to those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and a lot of times we're talking big name concerts that they have going on. So after, and I won't, I don't even think it was a Saturday night. I think it was the Sunday after the race two or three years ago at Austin, the big headliner was Taylor Swift. Correct. And that was a huge deal. You know, and, and well, I, I get that it's Korea and he's a big K-pop fan, K-pop uh artist but Psy was he was known to come to several of them um, and anchor in South Korea for that race and I think he he went to Singapore a couple times but there were they've had a lot of big name artists perform concerts I mean you can't forget when Eddie Jordan played and well okay but when Eddie Jordan plays it's he plays in two places and I think actually he plays Friday night. Well. But he plays Monaco. Uh-huh. At uh, the Raskas, because it's actually named after the bar, Raskas. At Raskas. And I believe also he plays uh, in Abu Dhabi. Oh, does he play at Abu Dhabi? Yeah, I, I, I believe so. It's like he brings the yacht down or something like that. Ah. But yeah. But definitely Monaco at Raskas on Friday night. Um, Eddie Jordan has, has been known, and I don't know if he still does, um, but he plays, his, his rock band comes out and performs. Hey, you said big names. <laughs> True. So last week we talked about James Allison's big promotion, and we thought that this was probably a, a sign that, that James was being groomed for bigger and better things and probably to replace Toto. Yeah, but James came out and said, I don't want Toto's job. Yeah, Toto Wolfen has said that, yeah, James doesn't really want to do this. Um, he, he, what they decided to do, as Toto put it, is how he described his position, is that Toto says that he is the chairman and CEO of all Mercedes Motorsport now. Okay. James, as the CTO... He's actually the CTO, not just of the Formula One team, but for all of Mercedes Motorsport. So as Toto put it, James is now his technical brother. Oh, okay. Is how so, he described the role. So when Toto can't log into his email, he calls James? <clears throat> and James says, um, we think your ERS battery's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Press the ERS button. Try again. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. Yeah. Okay, so James doesn't want the job. So I wonder who they're going to groom eventually to have Toto's. That's a really good question. And and Toto says, you know, he is looking for somebody to help him escape some of this craziness. You know, we could help. We could. We could submit resumes to Toto for potential team principal roles I go think for it this is the part where if toto is actually listening to our podcast he's just like mm. i know well he likes to partner with us in these types of things okay you you take care of i'm gonna put that on your plate you <laughs> i don't ahead. have enough on my plate <clears throat> you you go ahead and, and, and handle that one i'm suggesting that i don't have enough already on my plate 
I mean, I already do all of the driver and team interviews that we do in this show. And all of the coordination with Stefano. Well, you have the Rolodex that, that you know. I have a Rolodex? I'm supposed to have a Rolodex? Where's my Rolodex? <laughs> what is a Rolodex? Oh, oh man. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. And everybody that knows what a Rolodex is just feels very old. So Daniel Ricardo, <laughs> Who is not very old. No, he's not. Um, Daniel has said that he is really hoping. So, you know, we, we talked about, I'm pretty sure we talked about Daniel Ricardo's bet um, with Zach Brown. But apparently it's not a tattoo. No, it's not a tattoo. Um, he is going to, uh, if he gets a podium, Zach Brown owns Dale, one of Dale Earnhardt's cars. Uh, yes, it was a car in Zach's collection. I don't think we knew what car it was going to be yet. It, it is one of Dale Earnhardt's cars. Oh, wow. Like a 91 or 92 or something like that. Um, he, Daniel will... He will not get to keep it. He will get to drive it. <laughs> Don't put it in a wall, Daniel. But but Zach shared this with with Daniel by uh, providing by gifting him a model of the car. Ah. Which Daniel was actually pretty stoked about. That's pretty cool. Yeah, but but that's how he shared that that that's what the bet is. <clears throat> but Daniel's hoping for some other opportunities as well. Now that he is a part of the McLaren organization. Hmm. What is he hoping for? Um, well, he's hoping that um, between McLaren's involvement in IndyCar and um, Zach Brown's association with Australian supercars, that he would get the opportunity to either drive, well, not either, but to drive not just in an IndyCar event, but also in Bathurst. Um, now, where that comes in and, and why so Zach Brown is a part owner of the Walkinshaw Andretti United Supercars team okay um, last year Zach floated the idea of Lando Norris and and Daniel as a wild card entry at the Mount Panorama event but the team has a history of these one-off wild card races for Bathurst Oh, okay. Um, most recently, um, in 2019, in a Holden Commodore, Alexander Rossi and Jane, James Hinchcliffe oh, participated a, for Walkinshaw at Bathurst. What a cool combination. Mm-hmm. So that's why Daniel's hoping that he would get the opportunity. You know something? I can only imagine that Daniel's going to get every one of those opportunities. And we are extremely hopeful that uh, they give Daniel the opportunity to drive an Indy car at, oh, I don't know, Road America. Okay. That'd be awesome. Road America. You know, we're also kind of close to Indianapolis. Okay. Well, you know, if you're going to do that, Detroit is also an option. And Detroit would be an option. I mean, if we got word that he was headed to Mid-Ohio, do you know how fast we'd be in Mid-Ohio? Yeah, Mid-Ohio's not as convenient anymore, though. 
it's not, but it's so convenient to go stalking drivers. True. I mean... True. It's so easy to stalk well, drivers. I'm fairly certain that Road America is probably about the same. I would hope, but we just don't know it as well because we haven't been up there except to visit the gift shop. True. Great t-shirts. Yeah. Nice folks. Very nice folks. Hey, while we're on the topic of McLaren, and you may have seen this, you may not have, during, I don't remember if it was during the pre-race coverage or if it was during free practice three, there was a cut over at some point to a very different McLaren motorhome from what we have seen in the past. A much, much smaller structure. Mm. Well, the McLaren brand center is what they used to call their, well, what they still call their motorhome. Very iconic, very, you know it when you see it. It's a multi-story structure with mirrored outside windows. It's kind of round with some wings on the side. We actually, I think it was in 2012 or 2013, we got the opportunity to see the inside of it, courtesy of the folks uh, at the BBC who were doing some interviews. It actually has a multi-story atrium in that round area. Very nice building. But a motorhome, nonetheless. Yes. Um, Well, as part of the initiatives to uh, be a bit more environmentally friendly and as part of the the whole We Race as One initiative overall for Formula One, McLaren's downsizing the motorhome. Oh. Right now, I believe the motorhome, that entire structure takes, uh, what is it, 19? So the... The, the current building features 13.5 meters of solar glass facade on the front, and it includes kitchens, catering areas, meeting rooms, driver rooms, and office space for marketing and media staff. Um, and, oh, it, it takes 17 tractor trailers to transport it. Whoa. The new one will require eight. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's significant. It is. It's very significant. Congratulations, McLaren. And I know that, you know, a lot of the Formula One teams and also the accessory, you know, surrounding things. Sky Sports Mm -hmm. did a whole thing about that. They're going net carbon neutral in 10 years. Yep. um, Starting last year. So they got nine years left to be carbon neutral. I think it's a really great initiative. And I'm glad that because they have the money and the press... I think it's a really great way to spread the word. Perfect timing, too, because um, carbon emissions was also a problem with the Miami Grand Prix, too. Yes. Now, the the question that I have, and we haven't heard from Red Bull yet, but as Formula One, and, and they're making a push more than just with, with McLaren, they're trying to get all the teams to reduce the size of their motorhomes and, and that overall footprint. Footprint. Red Bull's Energy Station is the name of their motorhome, and it's a joint structure with them and Alpha Tori. Mm-hmm. Since it's already a shared structure, what are they going to do? Are they going to make it smaller? Or are they just going to go, ha, we're done because we had this joint structure and we were sharing? Well, they could still make it smaller. I mean, any reduction is a universal reduction. I mean, take one less tractor trailer to move the thing and you've improved it true 
except in Monaco. For Red Bull, at least. Okay. So, and, and I, I don't remember if we shared this video a couple of years ago or not. Red Bull's energy station, they have a custom-built energy station just for Monaco. It's a barge. Oh, my. <laughs> and I think they, like, build the barge every year. That does not surprise me. Mm -hmm. I also know that they, they bring in a yacht of some type, sort, too. Well, well, they bring in a yacht, but it's a barge. And on the top, one of the things that they're known for is the top deck of that barge. It's like a three or four story barge. The top deck has a pool right. and bar. Because that's the one that the drivers have plunged into after winning the race for Red Bull. Correct. So, over to Aston Martin. Yes. So, as we mentioned, um, Aston Martin is rather upset with the rules. And Otmar ha has expressed a significant amount of frustration in the changes to the aero regulations and how they feel that, that the high-rate cars have been unfairly penalized. And in particular, how he feels that Mercedes and Aston Martin has been unfairly penalized. So Aston Martin has taken it upon themselves to lobby the FIA to change the rules. It's not working for us. Right. Let me guess how fast Christian Horner is going to be approving that plan. Well, better yet, it's more the let me guess how fast Christian Horner was answering the phone from the journalists to give them the quotes about how stupid this idea is. Well, they should think bigger than themselves. <laughs> well, let me guess how, how fast it's going to be until Lawrence just buys the entire sport. Well, I the, don't know if he's got that kind of money. The, the thing is, this this is one of those times that, you know, as much as, yes, we root for Mercedes and we want to see Mercedes doing well and this is hurting Mercedes significantly, I agree with Christian Horner. The teams were aware of this rule, the, the, the rule change. The teams were aware of the impact. They knew this was coming. They all voted on it. They all approved it. Just because you're struggling now doesn't mean that, and especially when it's just because two teams are struggling, doesn't mean that let's change the rules midseason. Well, there's that, but also the sheer fact of, we finally have a fight. Well, there's that too. I mean, it, <clears throat> I get it. I have a bias. I want a particular driver and a particular team to win. But what I want more is an actual you want fight. racing. And we finally have a fight. So no, let's not change the rules because we got a fight now. Because Lawrence Stroll is upset that he did all this work and it went right out the window. You roll the dice, you gamble wrong. This is where I think we see, and, and, and I think this is Otmar who's gone, well, the boss wants us to do this. We're going to do it. Mm -hmm. But I'm fairly certain that this is not Otmar's doing, yeah. that this is Lawrence saying, this is unfair and we need to change this and we need to, and, and he's pushing um, as opposed to Otmar. I would agree with you. I think more of Otmar. Yeah. So, this weekend, we're at Imola. And you know what that means? A very important creature comes into mind. The Imola cat. 
named Formula Formulino. 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 Yes. And the Imola cat is quite the uh, interesting cat, as it's said to be good luck whenever it visits a driver. This year, however, um, the there are no spectators at Imola. Um, and since technically the Imola cat, Formulino, um, is a spectator, that couldn't be happening. But since it's just not the same without the Imola cat to give drivers good luck, they decide to make the Imola cat their own, its own staff member at the Formula One race. They gave it a VIP paddock pass and let well, it inside the paddock. So he was allowed inside the paddock. He's because he, this isn't the, his first year. Last year he was um, allowed inside the paddock as well. The big difference was. Formula One didn't realize how much of a big deal Formulino was and how important he was to the track and the fact that he doesn't care about the noise and the sound and the strangers and everything else that's going on um, because he's so used to being at the track and living at the track. Um, So this year, Formula One decided to recognize the importance of Formulino to Imola. And on his little paddock pass, it had like his job, which and he posed for. He posed. He has. He has his own paddock pass with his picture on there that he posed for the picture. Okay. And his job is cat, as it should be. I mean, let, let let's also let's face it. As a cat, you know, of course they had to go and give him VIP paddock access. Well, because he was going to go there no matter what. <laughs> so you might as well give him the badge. Well, You're I mean, not stopping. <laughs> Cats as, always find a way. As we record this, our most junior spectator has wandered all over our podcasting table. Um, and she does not have credentials. I imagine what she would do if she got credentials. She Play would drag them all over the house and smash them into things. Well, there's that. And constantly <laughs> play with them because she sees everything as a toy. That is also true. Anyway, I'm glad Formulino was able to get VIP access. Um, saw the video where he came to go visit Vettel. And that was last year he came to go visit Vettel. And... Um, if I remember correctly, Vettel didn't do so well after he announced he didn't really like cats. Yeah, he, he's not a cat person. and Yeah. He, he didn't do well last year. And, and if Formulino came to visit him this year, he didn't do so well either. Uh, but I also saw Lewis went and, you know, followed him and petted him. And, and he won last year. And then this year. I mean, he, was, had, he wow. struggled, but... After recovering after the spin to then end up second? Well, not just recovering after that spin that one we've... And and we're jumping a little ahead here. Sorry, I do that. Yeah. Um, We thought for sure that he was out completely. Um, But when he recovered, he was in seventh? Ninth. 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 He ended up in ninth. You know, that that was kind of staggering because he was there for a really long time. Mm-hmm. I thought he had really fallen down the, the 
I thought he fell back even further, but no, mm-hmm. it was just to ninth. And I mean, he was aided by the red flag. So, so before we even really talk about the race, free practice one, mm-hmm. some issues. Yes. Not the least of which was the fact that um, all the technical links and data links went down at the track for free practice one. Oh, my. Including the radio communications, um, which likely led to an incident between uh, Sergio Perez and Esteban Ocon. Oh. Which, when I first heard that there was a tangle between Sergio Perez and Esteban Ocon, I'm like, oh, great. This is back to the Force India days when they were racing each other. But apparently it wasn't. It was that because the data links had gone down, Ocon was going slow on the track. The team who would normally be able to warn, well, both of them, that they were closing, there were no comms to be able to reach out to either of them and say, hey, look out. And they ended up hitting each other. Um, But it was more than just that because apparently, so for the folks who actually watched the practices, commentary was out Mm -hmm. and all the data feeds and the graphics and all of that stuff was out the entire time too. So you silently watched cars go around the track. Well, not not necessarily silently. You just didn't have commentary because, you know, you could still hear the engines. So why did they even bother with having practice one in the first place if all these technical issues were happening? Well, because the cars need the practice and the drivers need the practice. Mm-hmm. You know, most, some of these drivers have never been around the track. So you, know, you, you still have the sessions to do what you can. So what happened was... There was a fiber failure, is what they're calling it, which cut the link. So what Formula One did because of COVID-19 is they switched most of their technical operations from a base on the track to Biggin Hill in the UK. Okay. And they're reliant on these long-distance fiber links to carry all of that information to Biggin Hill so that the production can happen and all of that stuff. Well, once that link broke, that connection was broken. Oh. Right. That's a weak link in the chain. Exactly. I mean, this goes back to, I mean, old mail buoy days when we talk about the Lowe's extension cord. Well, no, the Lowe's extension cord was different. Lowe's extension cord was the power of the ships when they had the engine turned off, as opposed to making sure that the data flowed back and forth. Well, I was just thinking that a different kind of cable. (laughs) I was just thinking. Not the same thing. I was just thinking that it was very similar in that it connected two points and, you know, somebody had to go lay the line down and plug it in on either end. Like the old telephone switchboards. There you go. Russell stole connectors to plug in your data. I have no idea what that is. Only certain people know what a Russell stole connector is. What's um, a Russell Stoll connector? It's to connect your data link. You, I, I did say that. <laughs> okay. Those, those words came out. After the podcast, we're going to have to explain to him what that is and a Rolodex. Do I have to start keeping a list now, too? <laughs> yes, because you keep making all these dated references that I don't understand because I'm like, I was born in 2003. <sighs> all right. So. What Formula One did when it came to moving the operations center 
out of or away from the track is what the teams have had to do for years now. Mm-hmm. You know, we know that McLaren and Mercedes and Red Bull all have extensive operations where their strategists aren't even necessarily at the track anymore. Right. They're back at the base at the factory and they're watching these live links and relaying information across the globe. Which, if you think about it, is one of the first steps towards the sustainability and carbon neutral and yep. if they're not moving those that number of people around. Yep. So, Yuki Sonoda had uh, a heck of an incident uh, in free practice. No, it was in Quali- qualifying. Quali one. Um, so just to get into the car mm-hmm. before we even hit quality one, just for Yuki to drive, apparently Alpha Tori had to make some changes to the car to make sure he could reach the pedals. How short is he? Apparently he's very short. They needed a special pedal box. Wow. You, you know, if you're, at least when I was a little, my first big wheel, mm-hmm. my feet didn't make it to the pedal. So I had wooden blocks. That word, that's what they did. They put wooden blocks on his pedals so that he could reach. Okay. I think we need to explore this wooden block on your big wheel. Because <laughs> I don't know of any kid who had a big wheel that couldn't touch the pedals. How short were you? I, I might have gotten the big wheel before, you know, most kids got big wheels. Oh. Was the big wheel the bicycle with the big wheel at the front? The big plastic one with the big wheel at the front and the two smaller wheels at the back. Yeah, that bicycle. And it was made out of plastic. And it's a tricycle, not a bicycle. Oh. Because there were three wheels. Oh. <laughs> and then you had the little handle on one wheel that you could pull up and you could it made you do spin-outs. It's a kid's thing. You know, the... The bicycle that you are thinking of is a penny farthing. It's two wheels where one wheel is significantly bigger than the other wheel. I've actually never heard of that bicycle, so... Wow, we're just racking them up. (laughs) You're making too many ancient references to, like, the Dark Ages, and I wasn't around during those times. Hey, so while we're talking about Yuki Tsunoda... Yes. um, His incident that occurred during qualifying that he spun out and, and hit the wall he broke the gearbox in half how do you do that and if you say spin out and hit the wall i'm gonna get up and smack you. either you spin out well, and it was hit the, the rear wall. end it was the rear end mm-hmm. which directly feeds the gearbox they, so they, they've talked about this you, you screw up stuff in the rear end you cause all kind of damage into the gearbox because their gearbox directly feeds those rear wheels right he hit when he spun out he hit the rear end and it basically sheared off the rear end which broke the gearbox okay he spun out and hit the wall (laughs) thank you for that crack commentary there (laughs) highly technical commentary so the race the race was a pretty good race it was and and i i still have this ongoing fear and, and when it comes to going to Imola that, you know, when they talk about how hard it is to pass and how few passing areas there are to pass, I have this big fear that it's going to be very perfect processional. And it We've doesn't, yet to have that. 
And it doesn't turn out that way. Um, no, it's it may be difficult to pass, but it seems to be possible to pass. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always something that's throwing a, a wrench into it. I think it's a technically complicated track. It's and a you, hard track. It's a high-speed track. And you add the element of semi-unexpected rain. Yeah, that too. Um, so you add wet, and wet at part of the track and dry at the other, so very spa-like. Mm-hmm. Um, that just, I mean, it caused all sorts of fun. And, you know, cars were dancing and cars were spinning. And, you know, it was it was crazy. But, you know, the one most unexpected thing about the entire race? Okay. Mazda spin didn't spin. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Did he spin? Yeah, he, he, he didn't. He didn't end up out of the race oh. for it, but he did spin. Okay, as long as he spun, but he didn't. <laughs> I was going to say he at least completed the race. He finished the race all the way back, <laughs> just like the 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 um bad man deserves. Yes, exactly. But okay, you you want to talk about horrible horrible luck? Mick Schumacher under the safety car spinning just outside the pit exit losing his his wing which causes them to close the pit entrance so here he is without a wing damaged and he can't come in to get repairs because his accident closed the pit lane exactly that was that was bad <laughs> i wonder if formulino um may have not um did not the, visit nick no. schumacher well, maybe it just like peed over by his garage or something now but really i think the most spectacular incident we saw was the one between uh george russell and valtteri bonus which caused the race to be red flagged yes um so unlike what they what martin brundle and david croft initially thought george russell was not walking over to see if Valtteri was okay. <laughs> it was the exact opposite of that. <laughs> Actually, George came over and apparently looked at Valtteri and yelled, what are you trying to do? Kill us both. Oh, my. Right. And then didn't he slap Valtteri while Valtteri he gave smacked, him the finger? He smacked Valtteri's helmet. Valtteri gave him the finger. Now, Valtteri says that, A, he was obviously very pissed off but he also says he had absolutely no idea what george was saying because he couldn't hear a thing oh okay well it's very difficult he was extremely pissed off at george so right now they're both pointing their fingers at each other it is the other guy's fault so george's feeling and what george has come out and said is that um he believes that Valtteri was defending harder than he needed to for a ninth place drive. Mm-hmm. Valtteri was was defending harder than he needed to. Valtteri moved under braking and at high speed under braking in a narrow area and forced George off the track because George had to react. And George going off the track and hitting the wet patch. So we... It sure looked to me in the replays like George went off the track. He caught the grass, and that's what sent him spinning. I've heard other people say that that he hit a wet patch, mm-hmm. but it looked to me that like he dipped a tire off the edge of the track. 
Um, but George says that this is Valtteri's fault for Valtteri moving under braking. That's what sent them spinning. That's what caused the issue. Um, Valtteri, on the other hand, says that there was plenty of room he was defending because he's not going to give up. A, that was one of the other things that George said, you know, he's a Mercedes driver and that ninth place for a Mercedes driver is nothing. And Valtteri had no reason to go and defend like that for ninth place because he should have been much further up on the grid. So he should have given up a spot because he was out of position. I have, I have, you know, normally I would defend George. Yeah. Normally I would. But I have to go, I think that that's a little... George George is saying that, well, you know, if it was any other driver, that Valtteri probably wouldn't have fought like that and wouldn't have made that move and wouldn't have done that. But because it was him and everything that's going on, that that's why Valtteri defended as hard as he was. George is feeling as well, that's a move that you would have made on the last lap when trying to defend for a win, not for ninth place. Mm-hmm is what George is saying. Valtteri, on the other hand, has said, one, I don't like giving up places, period. And I was defending. I was on the line. And there was plenty of room. And there was no reason for him to dip off. This is George's fault. And George's theory is interesting, but not correct. And this is George's fault. Oh, great. Okay, so since they're both Mercedes drivers, naturally, Toto Wolf is going to step in and put them both on the naughty step, correct? So what Toto Wolf said is that there was never such a situation in life where one is 100% to blame and the other zero. The whole situation should have never happened. Valtteri had a bad first 30 laps and shouldn't have been there. But George should have never launched into this maneuver considering that the track was drying up. It meant taking risks and the other cars and Mercedes in front of him. In any driver's development for a young driver, you must never lose this global perspective. So yeah, lots to learn for him, I guess. And I was with him all the way up until he said the other cars and Mercedes in front of him. Because to turn around and say, well, you know, you're you're with the junior team and you're affiliated with Mercedes and there's a Mercedes in front of you, don't challenge it. Yeah, no. That, and, and, and I'm really stunned to hear, hear Toto say something like that. That's a very Christian Horner thing to say. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We've heard Red Bull drivers, we heard Vettel and we heard Mark Webber make similar comments about Toro Rosso's in the past. So yeah. to hear Total Wolf say something like this is kind of staggering. Exactly. Yeah. Now, officially the stewards looked at it and said that they didn't see an indication that either driver involved was driving erratically. They have ruled this to be a racing incident and they are taking no further action. Um, Total Wolf has also said that Valtteri's car is very likely going to need to be written off because the damage was that heavy. Wow. Yeah. It looked pretty bad. Yeah. And of course, they're really upset because if the car's written off and the cost cap is in play, and it is, that means that 
planned upgrades and whatever that they might have been able to do, they probably can't do because they got to spend the money on the car instead. Mm. Yeah. That's the impact of the cost cap. That's sad. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, once you start figuring that out, what stops a team from intentionally taking somebody out when they know they're close to a cost cap so that they have to replace the car and not put upgrades in? Well, I mean, that's dirty pool, and I'll it, get that, but that would be a strategy. It could be. Again, you know, when we've had these incidents of intentional collisions, it, it raised, I mean, we, we had that with team orders and, and some of this, uh, these intentional moves, the, the fallout tends to be a lot bigger. Yeah, true. So. Just saying it could be a strategy. It could be. I, we'll see. Um, Kimi Raikkonen, who looked like he was going to have a points finish, actually, actually lost the points and was handed a 30-second penalty post-race. Wow. 30 seconds is huge. That's a huge penalty. So apparently what happened was um, at the restart after the red flag period, Kimi spun his alpha at turn three. Now, we saw Max do something very similar. He spun out as well, was able to regain his position. If you lose your position under that safety car in a restart, you have until the safety car crosses the safety car line to regain your position. Mm -hmm. If you're unable to do so, you have to go to the pit lane and you start from the pit lane. Kimmy didn't do that. Oh, he didn't regain his position. He didn't regain his position. He fell back um, to, where was it? Um, He caught up to the cars ahead of him between turn 13 and 14, uh, but he didn't make it to everywhere he needed to. Oh, when he finally caught up to the cars between turn 13 and 14, the safety car had already turned their lights out at turn 10. So he was three turns past where he needed to be. Mm. before he finally caught up. So as a result, he got a 30-second time penalty at the end of the race. Ouch. Yeah. How did Kimmy react to it? Did he just not care because he's the Iceman? Well, he didn't take an interview, so we don't know. Yeah. Lawrence Stroll also got a five-second Lance. Penalty. Lawrence doesn't drive. Oh, you're right. Lance Stroll. Yeah. He, get, he fell to 8th position after getting a 5 second time penalty uh, post race mm. um, as a result of his pass with Pierre Gasly which um, it turns out he left the track and gained a lasting advantage Oh, which you're not allowed to do no um, I don't recall seeing that pass I don't either but uh, it wasn't legal so it was um at turn two and three, but it doesn't say what lap in the article I have. Um, so, yeah. Five-second time penalty for Lance. That makes you happy. It does. So, looking forward. The Spanish Grand Prix. The, they had been hoping to allow fans to attend. 
Everybody is hoping to have fans. They had. Um, however, um, Catalan health authorities have now banned the event from accepting spectators due to the COVID restrictions in the region. Catalonia extended its latest countermeasures package, which includes closing its borders until at least April 26th. Mm. Now, the race is scheduled for May 9th. However, because there's no guarantee that any of these restrictions would be lifted by uh, the May 7th to 9th weekend, um, local officials have made the determination that they would not allow Formula One to host fans at the track. Got it. So... If you had tickets for the Spanish Grand Prix this year, they should get refunded to you before the race weekend. And it looks like, we don't know for certain, but it looks like the Canadian Grand Prix will be canceled. Um, Rumor has it that the Turkish Grand Prix is ready to host the race instead. Okay. Um, So... What happened in the last week is Radio Canada put out a story saying that the race had been canceled um, and that Turkey was going to be stepping in. A few hours later, that story was retracted and Formula One will only say that they continue speaking with the organizers in the hopes of holding the race. They have not confirmed that it's been canceled at this point, although that story did hit. Interesting. So hopefully we will hear something within the next couple of weeks. And finally, coming this season are going to be six new graphics. This is due to their partnership with Amazon AWS and the AI research that they have been doing. Um, The first of the five graphics, or the the, the first graphic, uh, will be... Uh, breaking performance and actually you may have seen it this week I don't recall seeing it pop up Um, but it was supposed to come this weekend breaking performance which would show the varying style of braking of each driver over the course of a lap the data examines how late each driver is braking and how their apex speed varies as they deal with the corners and I think because of the rain we didn't see it oh that makes sense yeah Um, the five other graphics that are supposed to be coming are coming at different phases of the season um, if we have the Canadian Grand Prix, we should get car exploitation. So this graphic will show when drivers are pushing their cars to their performance limits of grip, braking, acceleration, and cornering during a race. Um, from the British Grand Prix, we should start seeing energy usage, which will explore when drivers are using their battery power and how much they have left in reserve. From the Italian Grand Prix, we should start seeing start analysis, which will compare the getaways of each driver, both in terms of reaction and distance gained on rivals. From the Japanese Grand Prix, we're scheduled to see pit lane performance, which will look at the time lost or gained in the pit stop outside of the moments when the car is stationary. And we're scheduled to get from the Australian Grand Prix the undercut threat, which will analyze the potential benefits that a driver could have by making an early stop to undercut a rival ahead of him. Wow. So, we'll see what happens. I'm assuming that we will get um, we'll get our missing exploitation, no, not exploitation, um, breaking performance at the next race. 
in Portimao. Okay. I'm just trying to think about like how that would show, but I don't know. So I guess we'll have to see what that looks like. Yeah. Um, I'm excited about the new graphics. Not all of them, I think, are useful. There's a few graphics that I'm like, I don't care. Well, it, it's more the when they show it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to, to track a battle between drivers. I don't care all of a sudden what tire they're on. Exactly. I'm watching the gap. Don't show me how many pit stops they had. I don't <laughs> care. I want to know what the gap is. That's what I'm tracking. Or my least favorite thing is when they have to show like the amount of positions that a driver has gained since the start of the race. I don't care. Just show me the gaps. I need to see where like the drivers are behind each other. I don't need to know like how this driver is like was like three places ahead of where they started. I I, I hear you. I, I hear you. Having the gap, if they could get the gap up there all the time, I think that would be a big thing. Like, show me the other stuff occasionally, but I always need to know the gap. There is one graphic that I wish they would bring back. We saw it once, and I have never seen it again. It was during qualifying. Do you remember? And it was, actually, it may have been the the year we had the ill-fated crappy qualifying. Mm-hmm. But there was a graphic that they were showing that it wasn't just the the sector time and what color that they had set in the sector, but we were able to see on the bars where a driver was in the sector. So you were able to tell not just the fact that they were purple in the first sector and were in this and obviously were in the second sector. But the bar was showing the progress through the second sector before it changed the color. That I liked, especially when when you were watching one driver on the screen and they were showing the, the time for a second driver for comparison. You know, if you were watching Verstappen and, and Lewis was, was currently on the track, it was great to know where Lewis was in his sector as you're trying to compare the performance between the two. That was nice. And we only saw it once in Australia and it never came back. I do not recall that, but I can Phil see... Phil said he liked it. Phil said he liked it. <laughs> I know, that shuts everything down at that point. And Phil, Phil's just sitting there going, yeah. <laughs> How do you know that he said that he liked it, though? Because he did. He posted in our comments. So, speaking of Phil... We have to talk about the uh, Fancy Grand Prix. Oh, I didn't even look at where I was. I'm assuming. I'm just telling you guys, bad. I won the week. I okay. was three whole points above Phil this week, which given the will he, won't he finish Hamilton thing <laughs> was a nail biter. However, I still think I'm 40 points down from Phil because, well, it's going to be a long way if I even have a hope of catching up. Um, maybe use your team's buying ability and like try and pick drivers that he isn't using so that way you can get like different points than he is. The problem is he's picking the drivers that have that have the points. So he and I are, are in a battle. I'm, I'm coming at you. It's just going to take me a lot of laps to get there. <laughs> and on that note, we'll call it a show.
They are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay. Phew.